When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Acast is the home of podcasting. No matter if you're brand new to podcasting or a seasoned pro, we've got the best tools you need to create, grow, and make money from your show. Unlock your podcast's full potential with Acast. Join for free at acast.com. November 1995, Surrey, United Kingdom. 16-year-old Ruth Wilson left home as usual on a miserable winter morning. But instead of going to school with her sister, she took a taxi in the pouring rain to the top of bleak but beautiful Box Hill, where she vanished off the face of the earth. Ruth was popular and smart from a good family. Bad things didn't happen to families like this. But did a dark secret hidden from her drive Ruth to run away? Did the truth become too much for the sensitive and sad teen? Or did she cross paths with the wrong person? All we know is that Ruth has never been heard from since and nobody has ever been found, making the disappearance of Ruth Wilson Surrey's oldest outstanding missing persons case. This is Ruth's story. Every now and again there's a story that just niggles away you can't quite forget. The disappearance of Ruth Wilson is one of those stories. In 2002, I wrote an article about missing people. The case of Ruth Wilson really affected me. It was so unusual, such a peculiar and mysterious case of a 16-year-old who went missing in the Surrey Hills in 1995. There were multiple appeals for Ruth to come home, and it was her family's belief that she was out there somewhere. The official version suggests this is a missing persons case. This is unresolved. There is no evidence of any crime. And that is absolutely correct. I still, all these years later, am haunted by the belief that that wasn't the whole story. Ruth Wilson was born January 31st, 1979, to parents Ian and Nesta Wilson. Ruth was the couple's first child, and then three years later, the family welcomed another child, Jennifer, into their lives. Ian was the head science teacher at the local high school, and Nesta was a stay-at-home mum. Nesta was adopted as a young child into old money, so the family were doing well for themselves, and everyone wanted to be in their company. The family lived in a 17th-century cottage on Wonham Lane in Bitchworth, Surrey, which is around 21 miles southwest of London. Unfortunately, while the rest of the family were growing and thriving, it seems that Nesta was dealing with some demons that have never been revealed publicly. Maybe no one knows what Nesta was struggling with. But on December 4, 1982, when Ruth was three years old and Jennifer was only a few months old, Nesta would take her own life by hanging. Not sure what to tell his babies, Ian would tell Ruth and then later Jennifer as well, that their mother had died in a tragic freak accident, that she fell down the stairs and died. 
Now, online unsolved mysteries and true crime forums will take this fact and run with it. There's a lot of negativity about Ian hiding the true cause of Nesta's death from the children. However, it's important to remember the context of that time. Mental health and suicide was a touchy, if not taboo, subject with certain people and society as a whole. Add on to that, Ruth was only three years old when all of this happened, still very much a baby. It would have been hard enough telling a three-year-old that their mother had died and explaining the permanency of that, let alone trying to explain that she had suicided. It would have been hard enough telling a three-year-old that their mum had died and then explaining the permanency of all that, let alone trying to explain that she had suicided. I just think there needs to be a little understanding and empathy towards Ian. It would have been an extremely difficult situation he would have found himself in. More on to that, Ian would remarry a year later, and there have been a whole lot of suspicion and finger-pointing on why and how he could move on so fast, unless he was involved directly or indirectly with the cause of his wife's suicide. Again, there needs to be a little more understanding of the time this story takes place. The early 1980s were a heck of a lot different from the noughties. Here we have a man who was just widowed. He had two babies to bring up that he wasn't the primary caregiver of. Nesta was the stay-at-home mum while Ian went to work. Getting married quickly after the death of a spouse was quite common 40 years ago. And even now, there really is no right or wrong in this situation. So keyboard warriors may be back off a bit. Now with that out of the way early, back to Ruth's story. In 1983, Ian started a relationship with fellow teacher Karen Bowerman, and towards the end of that year, the two would marry. Ruth and Jennifer would become very close with Karen and would eventually come to know her as mum. And no disrespect to Nesta, but Karen would step in and really love the girls like they were her own. Ian received a promotion as a local parish councillor. The family were quite esteemed within the community and were a respected member of their local church. Despite the tragedy that affected Ruth's early life, she continued to thrive and was happy and well-adjusted. Fast forward to her mid-teens, to 1995 when our story takes place. Ruth was in her final year of high school. She was studying for her A-levels in biology and chemistry at the Ashcombe School in Docking. She sung in the choir, played the organ and took part in bell ringing at the family's church, St Michael's in Betchworth. Ruth loved reading and listening to pop music. She would go on long bike rides and had learned to play electric guitar. Ruth exceeded in everything she did. She was a hard worker and Ian expected this of his girls. Ruth did not have time for fashion and makeup. She was a popular babysitter and had a weekend job at a music store. She had an amazing close-knit group of friends that would later describe Ruth lovingly as a nerd and quirky, but with this really wicked sense of humour. She sounds like the kind of girl I would have been friends with when I was 16. Ruth was just your typical teenager navigating her way through life. However, Ruth's friends would later tell police it seemed like a dark cloud came over Ruth in October 1995. She was fixated on her biological mother, with who she was and what happened. She started to question whether her mother's death was really a tragic accident or if there was more to it. Why she thought this, it's not clear. 
Maybe she overheard a conversation between Ian and Karen. Maybe she came across a document when she was snooping, which is what kids do. Regardless, Ruth travelled to London with a close friend to get a copy of Nesta's death certificate, and this is when she found out the truth, which would have been so difficult and not the ideal way to find out. But, as I said earlier, Ian didn't do anything wrong not telling Ruth the truth back when she was a very young child, but maybe there could have been some kind of conversation when she was more equipped emotionally to handle what happened. But Ruth, understandably, didn't take the news well, and she would run away from home for about a week. She would hide out at friend Ben Anderson's home in Betchworth, before then returning back to her home. This would be about a month before Ruth would vanish into thin air. After this, Ruth would stay quite frequently at another friend, Catherine Ma's home. When Catherine's mother would encourage her to go home, Ruth would become very emotional and not want to leave. She never explained why, and Catherine's mother didn't want to pry if Ruth didn't want to share. Ian and Karen would later refute any claims that Ruth's home life was unhappy, and her friends would say they didn't believe Ruth was suicidal, that she was spending more time going to Box Hill, a bleak but beautiful hill that overlooks the city, and that Ruth would go there most days after school before going home to be alone with her thoughts. That this helped Ruth process her feelings, but they didn't believe that she was suicidal. In early November, Catherine would tell Ruth they were moving away to South Yorkshire. Ruth begged Catherine's parents to let her come too, but she never got the chance. Ruth would go missing just two weeks after Catherine moved away. She set out for school on a November morning in 1995. She decided that she didn't really want to go that day. Instead, she was going to go and work in the library. She had sent a bunch of flowers to her stepmother to arrive two days later. And we don't know why she did that. She ordered a taxi to take her up to a local beauty spot, Box Hill in the Surrey Hills, and she simply stood by the side of the road, and that was the last time that Ruth Wilson was seen alive. Saturday, November 25th, 1995. Ruth went to work at her usual weekend job at the music store. That night, she had dinner at an Indian restaurant with her ex-boyfriend, Will Kennedy, and another friend, Neil Philipson. Now, even though Ruth and Will had broken up, they remained good friends and would hang out several times a week. Will's family loved Ruth, and she was always welcomed in their home. At the end of the meal, Ruth would insist on paying for everyone's meal, saying cryptically, quote, It's something to remember me by, unquote. Now, at the time, Will and Neil thought this was just Ruth being funny and silly, but maybe this was Ruth's way of saying goodbye to two of her closest friends. Sunday, November 26, 1995. Ruth was going to church with her family and then to youth group in docking. She had handball practice after this, and she would end the day by having dinner with Will and his family. She spoke about being worried about her performance at school, and she confided in Will that she had kept her school report hidden from her parents. But besides that, Will and his family would later report to police that Ruth seemed in good spirits that evening. Monday, November 27, 1995. The day started hectic. Everyone was running late that morning. 
Karen had preparation for exams, and Ian had a church school service that needed the final touches added to it. They needed to be at school before everyone else. Ian would later recall in media interviews that he had pushed past Ruth, who was distracted and listening with her earphones plugged into her Walkman. Quote, I remember being angry with her. I said something like, out of my way, I'm in a hurry. I'll always regret that those were my last words I ever said to her. Unquote. Honestly, I just want to give Ian a massive hug. We all get snappy at our kids. We never mean it and we always feel bad afterwards. But for the vast majority of us, we can give our child a hug and kiss, embarrassing them later, and everything is forgiven. But for Ian, he never got that chance to make amends with his oldest. Hey listener, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Whether you're an expert, a super fan, or just want to speak your mind, start sharing your passion with a podcast and your audience will follow. With Acast, it could have been easier to get started. You can create, launch, grow, and make money across all listening apps, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. There are listeners out there for every type of podcast, so let's hear yours. Head over to acast.com to get started for free. Child. With Ian and Karen already left for their work day, this left Ruth and Jennifer to take the school bus. Now, given Ruth was in her final year, there were days where she was only required to go to school for half the day. And at the last minute, Ruth told Jennifer she wasn't coming with her. Jennifer didn't think that much of it. Yes, it was strange that she changed her mind just before they were leaving, but it wasn't unusual for her not to go in the mornings. After Jennifer left for school, Will stopped by in his car and offered Ruth a lift. She told him that she was fine and she would just see him later. Will assumed this meant that she was coming to school after lunch. Ruth never skipped school. However, she never made it to school at all that day. 11.30am. Ruth took the taxi from her home in Betchworth to Thistles Forest on High Street. She ordered an expensive bouquet of flowers for her stepmother, Karen. She requested for no card to be attached and for the flowers to be delivered on Wednesday, two days later. Some would later claim that this was kind of a fuck you to Karen. But why they think that, it's not clear. It would be helpful to know more about the Wilson family dynamics. Ruth was obviously distraught about something going on, that she didn't want to be home. I'm suspicious that this was more than just Ruth being mad at her father over lying about the cause of her mother's death. But that's not based on anything except my intuition. I could be extremely wrong. None of Ruth's friends or her sister said anything about Ruth being mistreated at home. Nothing outside of normal teenage rebellion. It's just one of those perplexing facts about the case. Questions with no answers. Ruth would then spend the next four hours in Dorking Library until 4.15, when she took the taxi from Dorking Railway Station to Box Hill, getting out on the bridleway a short distance from a pub called the Hand in Hand Pub. Given this was 4.30 in the afternoon in winter in England, it would have been dark and it was a rainy, windy and cold evening. Ruth was not dressed for the weather. She was wearing a lightweight red knitted jumper, black velvet trousers and black pixie boots. She had a small lady's watch on her left wrist. On her back, a small blue duffel bag containing a personal stereo and tapes. It's not clear if Ruth had any money with her. 
and if she did, how much money she had. The taxi driver would later report that he thought the situation was strange, that when he drove off, Ruth was just kind of standing there on the side of the road in a daze. In the rain and not dressed appropriately for the weather, the interaction concerned the taxi driver enough that he would report what happened to police. He asked them to conduct a welfare check on the young girl. Later that evening, Jennifer told her parents that Ruth had not been at school at all that day, and this concerned Ian and Karen. As I said, Ruth had a perfect attendance record. She never skipped school, and given the fact that she hadn't returned home either. A quick call around to Ruth's friends and no one had seen her at all that day. Given that she had run away only a month earlier, they were concerned that she had run away again, so they reported Ruth missing to police. With a report of the girl matching Ruth's description acting suspicious in Box Hill, police conducted a search of around 100 acres within the immediate area. Sniffer dogs, helicopters and a large gathering of police went over the area inch by inch using heat-seeking equipment, but no sign was found as to where Ruth could have gone. The search for Ruth would last five days, including Surrey Police, Fire and Rescue Team, 60 volunteers and wardens from the National Trust. There was speculation that she could have ended up at the bottom of the cliff at Box Hill. The Nainsaw Limited quarry closed and employees assisted police in carrying out an extensive search, but no further leads were developed from any of these searches. Right at the end of the search efforts for Ruth, on Friday, December 1st, 1995, four days after Ruth was last seen, police found three notes hidden under the undergrowth at Betchwood Quarry in Box Hill. Close by, they also found empty packets of paracetamol tablets and a half-empty bottle of Vermont, an alcoholic spirit drink. The police have never released these notes or what was contained within them. There has been speculation of what was contained in these notes. Early stories indicate they may have been suicidal, but now it seems a common belief was that these notes might have been ambiguous in terms of what they meant, but they are believed to be farewells to her parents, her best friend and an unspecified teenage boy. It's also been speculated their handwriting has been apparently confirmed as belonging to Ruth. It's also not clear when exactly these notes were left by Ruth. Was it the day she went missing or earlier? We know that Ruth went to this part of Box Hill quite often to think and be alone. It makes sense that she would get her feelings out on paper. Maybe in the form of letters to people she loved. Maybe she just threw them away afterwards with no intention of anyone ever seeing them. Police considered suicide, but then Ruth's body was not found nearby, which you imagine that would be the case if she had suicided. You can only hide yourself so well. But at this point, the Chief Superintendent of Surrey Police, John Seville, told the media there were five possible explanations for Ruth's disappearance. Quote, a tragic accident, abduction, suicide, murder, or that she absented herself to start a new life. Unquote. Everything was sort of like hunky-dory, certainly on the night before. And that's the real mystery for me. Her parents lived in a picture-perfect Surrey village. Daughter of a parish councillor, church-going, bell-ringing, choir-singing, organ-playing girl. And then something else. That's the real hole, isn't it? She seemed happy. Was she happy? 
She's dropped off at a bridleway. The taxi driver says he drove off and he watched her standing there. So she either didn't want the taxi driver to see where she was going to go, or she was waiting to meet somebody who was going to pick her up in the car. This should have been treated as suspicious from the very beginning. December 8th, 1995. Ian and Karen appear on the popular breakfast TV show This Morning to appeal for information. They stated in this interview they believed that Ruth was still very much alive but afraid to come home. Soon after this broadcast, the family liaison officer for the Wilson family, Mark Williams Thomas, he stated that there was no evidence to indicate that Ruth had been harmed or had committed suicide. Mark did indicate that he believed Ruth had specifically gone to Box Hill to meet with someone and then left with them. June 1996, eight months after Ruth went missing, police visited Ruth's best friend, Catherine Ma, at her Sheffield home. Catherine would tell police, quote, She was unhappy, really unhappy. She cried to me about things. She didn't want to be there. Just why is not clear. She was secretive about that. She didn't go into details. Unquote. After questioning the teen, they actually would search Catherine's room and look through her wardrobe as if they believed that Catherine had been harbouring Ruth there. Around this same time, Ruth's story would be featured on another TV program, which resulted in the first unconfirmed sighting of the missing teen. October 6th, 1996, Ruth's story would be featured on live TV's Missing Persons. Reports came in that a young woman matching Ruth was spotted on the outskirts of London just a few weeks earlier. The one-year anniversary of the disappearance brought the next significant sighting, one that everyone, including Ruth's parents, believe is of her. Someone matching Ruth's description was captured on CCTV at a Dorking newsagent shop two miles from Box Hill. The teenager was apparently distressed, wanting to buy a copy of each of the local newspapers. When told one was already sold out, she became visibly upset – the shop owner knew of Ruth's disappearance and firmly believed this was a missing girl. She reported what she saw to police and handed over the CCTV footage. For the record, Ian and Karen have viewed the footage numerous times and they are certain the girl in the video is their Ruth. Police Sergeant Shane Craven said there was also some credible sightings of Ruth around the same time by local Surrey people who had known her well. Sightings came as far field as Canada. Someone came forward years after Ruth's disappearance and claimed to have seen Ruth on the day she disappeared, on Regate Street, which links Dorking and Regate, and she was carrying a blue suitcase. Could they have mistaken her blue duffel bag for a suitcase? Maybe. But then this person became uncertain and said maybe she saw Ruth earlier or maybe even much later. For their part, the missing persons team followed up each and every lead, but no lead revealed Ruth's whereabouts. Now, Ruth didn't drive and she didn't have her passport with her when she left home that fateful morning. This does make the scenario involving long distance or international travel all the more difficult. Said friend Kay Blendard, quote, My belief is that she planned to do something. I don't know whether that would be permanent or temporary, I'd also like to believe that someone knows what happened, unquote. 
In 2018, journalist Martin Bright and retired police officer Liam McCulley worked together to document Ruth's case in Vanished, the Surrey schoolgirl. And this documentary is available on YouTube, so I will provide links in the show notes and in our Facebook group. But this documentary came to the conclusion that she was no longer alive. The documentary reasoned that they could not logically see her being successful and running away and making a fresh start. And despite numerous appeals to the public for more information, there have been no further clues as to what happened to Ruth Wilson and no new leads. She has contacted no one, her big account remains untouched, and she's become one of the most perplexing missing persons cases in United Kingdom history. People keep secrets for all sorts of reasons, from shame to protecting loved ones. But very often they have a corrosive effect, eating away at trust, whether it's in a family, a community or society itself. Discovering the secret of her mother's suicide appears to have had a devastating effect on Ruth Wilson. The police are being very tight-lipped and Betchworth continues to keep its secrets. There have been several theories floating around on online true crime and unsolved mysteries forums, including that she had run away, been kidnapped, committed suicide, had been murdered or had suffered from a tragic accident. But there really is no evidence to support any of these. Now there is a chance that she did disappear herself. She could have done cash-in-hand jobs and supported herself until she could have arranged a fake ID, a new identity. She could have changed her appearance. The girl in the CCTV footage has a short pixie-type haircut. She could have dyed her hair and got coloured contacts, lost significant amounts of weight or gained weight. Yes, she was only 16, but she was smart, and she was capable of doing all of this. But just as likely, she could have trusted the wrong person in her desire to leave her home environment. There are older, sick predators that could have taken advantage of a young woman desperate to get out of her current situation. But either way, I really believe it's impossible to say either way what's happened because we don't have all the information here. We don't know exactly why Ruth did not want to go home. We don't know what those notes said. And all those questions and unknowns it leaves any of the mentioned scenarios very possible. She could have suicided off the cliff, and she may never be found due to landfill that has been put there in the intervening years. In 2006, Ian Wilson wrote an open letter to his missing daughter that would be published in all the local newspapers. Quote, We still have the presents we bought you for Christmas in 1995. They're safe in a drawer waiting for you to come back. Though I expect your tastes have changed so much that you'll probably laugh at the music and clothes. Though the house is too large now, your sister Jenny has moved out. We can't bear to move. It's your home after all. Your disappearance is still a mystery. You are confident, independent-minded, and apart from the usual teenage frictions, you seemed happy at home. You can imagine our terror and how we searched month after month. I trawled London, hoping against hope I'd find you. We wondered if you had a secret, but your follow facts revealed nothing. The police discovered you had visited Box Hill before, but don't know why. There have been many false leads. Every time our spirits are raised, only to be dashed again. It's torture. Even now I find myself driving past bus stops and staring. Could that young woman, you're 27 now, be you? Unquote. 
Ruth Wilson was 16 years old at the time of her disappearance. She has shoulder-length wavy dark brown hair and hazel eyes. Though if the CCTV footage of the young girl at the newsagent's shop was her, Ruth may have cut off all her hair and may have undergone further changes in her appearance since the time she was last seen. Ruth was last seen wearing a red knitted jumper, black velvet trousers, black pixie boots and a small lady's watch on her left wrist. She was also carrying a small blue duffel bag with a personal stereo and tapes. Ruth wears prescription eyeglasses but may now wear contact lenses. If Ruth is still alive today, she would be 43 years old. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Ruth Wilson, please contact the Dorking Police on... 01483-571212. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook, like the page so you don't miss an episode, and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.